Welcome to Factum Agri, dedicated to New Zealand's agriculture industry. Working with the Rural Support Trust each week, I talk with farmers and industry professionals to hear their stories and expert opinions on various industry-related matters that are relevant to both our farming and our urban communities. I've talked a lot about lamb and beef markets and indeed the dairy sector in recent times. One that has not got a huge amount of attention is our venison market. Farmgate contracts offered for venison in 2020 were $7 to $7.20 a kilogram. When Europe was brought to its knees by COVID-19 and restaurants shut their doors, these Farmgate returns were a far cry from the $12 per kilogram highs seen the previous year. As vaccination programs roll out across Europe and USA restaurants start to open, demand for venison will start to steadily increase. Venison companies also treated the 2020 hospitality downturn as an opportunity to develop new products and sales channels that will progress as COVID comes under control. There is also a continuing focus on developing cuts for China where COVID restrictions in many regions were first to ease. Increased focus in Western markets is on creating demand for home-cooked cuts currently, particularly from the shoulder and leg, which have traditionally been sold frozen as undifferentiated game meat. There is opportunity to add value both now and in the long term, and all indicators suggest that venison contracts will firm in 2021. With venison prices being as low as they are, helicopters have not been targeting feral deer as the economics are not quite stacking up. As a result, our wild deer population is quite healthy currently. With the roar upon us and no COVID restrictions, hunters will be chomping at the bit. Hunters, please take care out there. Identify your target before firing. And if in doubt, please don't shoot. This week, Natalie Tua from the Strength Shed joining me on the show. Let's check in with her now to find out about what she's been up to. Hi, Natalie. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. You are originally from a dairy farm in Taranaki, is that correct? Yeah, that's right, yep. Um, South Taranaki, actually, a little place called Whenuakura. Okay. Yes, so um, that, was the, that was the original stomping ground. Um, currently living in Wellington with my, my husband and we ones, but um, yeah, the original stomping ground is um, yeah, a dairy farm up there. So it was maybe like 170 hectares and 500 cows and uh-huh. pretty archaic 26 bale rotary. tree. Um, right. Yeah, hence why our exposure, I suppose, to... The farming was always on the outside of the archaic rotary, which is get the cows in and help with the calf rearing. Don't mix the herds up when you're getting the cows in and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah my parents are still up that way, so they're um, between Cartier and Waverley on a, on a block there, just right. attached to where the old Jerry farm was. Yeah. And I understand you and your brother have started a business, the Strength Shed. What is the Strength Shed? Yeah, so um, the Strength Shed, I suppose, is a, um, it originally came from a bit of a passion piece, but it's, it's really been... Um, established to encourage a bit of a change conversation really around resilience and well-being um just supporting that shift in the conversations from being from being the coping and surviving type conversations to growing through what we go through really and having more of a sense of thriving more often so um something that was an otherwise geeky obsession around personal growth and and um, Mm. simplification has now been channeled into some extra development um for each of us, which is really around this, simplifying the science of well-being and thinking about ways in which we can use tools and give confidence to people, um, which increases resilience overall. So mm. um, workshops, online development programs and seminars and things like that. Mm. 
You have corporate experience and farming experience. Both these areas have their own challenges and stresses, which are well documented. Was it your experience in both of these areas that led to the start of the strength shed? Yeah, it probably was really, um, with the farming one being more one around, um, you know, our observation of not only from, you know, exposure to what mum and dad um, went through in dairy farming years, um, but also what a number of friends and family um, are exposed to in terms of those challenges. So not a not a direct farming one for for us. Um, yeah, and then when I think about that corporate overlay. Um, yeah, a number of people focus roles for me really. So HR, learning and development, leadership development, and then that ends up looking a bit different across government departments and public sector and a few different roles that I've had. So yeah, again, the, the challenges are ever present. And then I think we just started to notice this pattern around, particularly in the wellbeing and resilience space, um, lots of awareness and mm. lots of great information and tools. Um, in corporate world, sometimes I'm going, really, do we have to overcomplicate it like that? Can't we mm. just simplify that right down? So um, there was that pattern we noticed. And then also a bit of a pattern around our natural default, I suppose, of human beings really going to how do we fix the thing or, or, or what's not wrong, or what's not right with the situation here versus actually what is right with it, you know? If we, if we, you know, I suppose the wheels come up for all of us from time to time, we're operating at the minus five and we get ourselves back to zero, mm. um, back to whatever normal looks like. And then I suppose we came a bit, became a bit fascinated with um, what does that plus five look like and how can we how can we try and be in the plus five more often uh, than not. So, um, mm. yeah, a few of those patterns really started to feed into, okay, well, the strength sets kind of this endeavour to support exactly that, you know, simplification, um, bite-sized pra- practical application of some, some research that's already... Um, you know, you've got, you've got gurus who are tuning out all the research for us, and I certainly don't profess to be one of those. Um, yeah, yeah. Be able to be able to take that information and turn it into something really practical and meaningful for people is, is what this is all about. And I suppose that even the name, the strength shed, is a bit of a nod to that because, um, uh, you know, the shed concept, you go you go there to get something useful, right, or, or it houses, you know, the cows, the sheep, mm-hmm. the hay, the whatever it is, and um, yeah, so we took that concept and then kind of went actually, if we can overlay this idea of um, using things like our strengths, which absolutely are a lever for our well-being, that's what we want to be known for, I suppose, packaging things up um, in a simple way for people's well-being. And you've started uh, rolling those out initially in the corporate world, is that correct? Yes, yeah, so mostly small businesses actually are, um, are who we've been working with okay. so far, Um hairdressing firm um so it's up with a law firm recently fantastic some primary school teachers and uh the the exposure to rural so far has been through some online pilot um workshops that we ran some of them were during COVID actually mm. and um from there we've actually started working with um the Tadanaki Rural Support Trust so mm-hmm. in May we'll be rolling out uh four workshops across two days um uh, with the with the trust um with that real bent around emotional well-being, so trying mm. to um, trying to demystify some of that, I suppose. And we've actually called it the E word because mm. people often freak out about the word emotions. So um, we've called it the E word and talked about um, it being loading loading the toolkit for our emotional well-being. Natalie, was dairy farming an option you considered or explored uh, for yourself? Um, it was. It would always have been an option, absolutely. Um, Looking back now, I'm thinking about the way in which 
I know certain strengths of mine to be true. I was probably always on a path to go, right, how do I utilize those strengths to still give back to a community that matters to me? Mm. And um, yeah, yeah. So I think my, my siblings would, would have a would have a great laugh at that concept. Nat and farming, really? Um, <laughs> but there's a, there's a massive pull. Um, there's still a pull to, to the Naki in particular. Yeah. Um, yeah. And actually, when I think about this for my well-being, right, like needing to get back to the to the farm, the small farm now, where mum and dad are, is, is just a, a part of what I need to keep myself well as well. Yeah. And you mentioned your siblings. Um, your brother, Paul, is also involved in the strength shed. What is his role in the business? Oh, I could have some fun with this question, couldn't I? Give it to my brother. He's my PA. <laughs> um, no, so it's, it's a really it's a joint um, joint involvement from both of us. Um, Paul's involvement and definitely where his strengths in particular lie happen to be around bringing concepts to life. I suppose um, he loves a good analogy, so he um, yeah he looks at ways in which he can he can use the material that we're dealing with, but really think about how that would land for people in a in a bite sized, practical, really meaningful way. Um, mm. Yeah, so his his um, his piece is probably more the the in the business and the actual content, um, and so mine is some of that, and, and the, on the business stuff, you know, the, the the how we set it up and the, how we engage with people and things like that. So the sibling thing, I feel works really well. Um, we naturally just tend to challenge each other and test each other. Um, we know each other really well, so we do keep each other honest. He definitely keeps me honest around. No corporate bullshit. Mm, yeah. No, no corporate bullshit bingo and that kind of type of thing. So yeah. And Paul is also um, he's a professional rugby referee. So does he split his time between refereeing rugby and indeed the strength shed? That's right. He does. Yeah. With um with refereeing definitely being the predominant piece for him. So um, it's fair to say um, the strength shed is a side hustle for both of us right now. And um, yeah, so he's obviously got the Sanzar involvement and and. Um, international appointments when they appear and that really I suppose brings quite a unique flavour to what we do because there's the involvement with a large organisation like NZRU Mm. but also you've got this nice high performance sport overlay Um, Mm. he Mm. definitely helps to I suppose work concepts through to make them um, from high performance world essentially to make them actually more palatable I even think about the term mental fitness which I originally had an allergic reaction to Hmm. Um, but we he thinks about that and we now both talk about this from the perspective of um, the ability to to physically move for our physical fitness is actually no different to the way we want to focus kind of information and conversations on things that will help us grow and that's mental fitness Hmm. Um, yeah and the farming space how are people connecting with you you sort of touched on this is it through groups or individual consultation yeah, so far it absolutely has been groups, and so I think this will be really interesting to um, to actually watch where the the um, the interest is from here on in. There's something kind of quite unique, I suppose, about the groups piece, and that um, people are sharing. There's that social learning that's going on, um, and that sense of vulnerability building trust between people. And so when you're tossing around a new concept about something, and people are having a conversation, and um, yeah, it unlocks, I suppose, another hidden benefit for people's well-being. So the the group thing, um, yeah, tends to tends to work well from what we've seen so far. Yeah. Mm. And how's engagement going with farmers? I know there are plenty of challenges out there for farmers right now. Yeah, and again, it does feel like early days. Um, I I think 
again, these working with the Taranaki Rural Support Trust and, and May will be really interesting. The anecdotal stuff that we're hearing is that it's really, um, it's kind of heartening to have kind of platforms and forums, whether that's kind of a development program or some kind of a workshop that people jump into as a one-off where you are naturally in an environment where you're having a different conversation. Um, uh, it's the, the one-to-ones often where you're just bumping into people where we can quite easily default to the things that are not going right versus a bit of perspective around, hang on, there is some stuff that is going right here as well. Mm. Natalie, where you live now, you live in Wellington. How are farmers perceived in Wellington in general, do you think? Yeah, it's a good question. I um, I feel absolutely the farmers are perceived as having this, you know, really high work ethic, hard, hard working, and, and there's a real knowledge, I think, of the challenges that are faced by farming communities. The question, I suppose, then becomes to what extent is there a real an appreciation of what those challenges look like and how they layer up when you think about the, um, you know, the ever-present challenges around uh, weather and markets and things like that, overlaid with regulatory environment and um, pandemic environment and all that good stuff. So, mm. I I think, um, yeah, the, the the challenges are probably more complex and maybe not fully understood. Um, I worry sometimes that there's that perception of, um, and again, this happens with well-being, right, that people think it's some kind of a luxury lifestyle, kind of trap them in it. You mentioned well-being, and all of a sudden it's all about quinoa salads and yoga pants and things like that. And similarly, I wonder whether there's this trap in thinking, you know, rural is the, um, it's all the, the marketing promotional things you see about the, um, the big wide open spaces and calm and sanctuary and the, the fluffy lambs and springtime and things like that which is you know definitely the part of it that that needs to be um uh held onto and appreciated but that does also um have that real realistic overlay of the challenges present too so just on that do you think our urban communities need to be more engaged with our farming communities whether it might be through school groups for example yeah that's a really good point yeah yeah i mean i would say yes um I'm sure there's also some urban community that would argue, argue kind of back the other way, but I, I think I think with these big challenges across the board and actually acknowledging the way in which the farming ones kind of really layer up and and there's this bit too around the challenges being things at the moment that are, are uncertain in some instances and the human brain's not really wired, wired to deal with uncertainty. So all of a sudden we are starting to narrow our focus and go back to the just the, the stuff we we know to be safe and true and just our local community kind of piece whereas if you're lifting up a level and thinking about your own individual well when you've got the ability to have perspective I suppose of the the parts of the community that that need need support and that you can actually then support to um yeah as you say you know that, that rural community and school engagement thing that, that would be a, you know a real fascinating one right mm, the ability to have kind of this um yeah, I just think of our local school um, just here where our eldest son goes to and the ability to have, um, yeah, some sort of, you know, direct connection to to all things rural that then is, is embedded as a part of their, their school or any aspect of what they learn. You know, that's, that's incredibly precious, yeah. Mm. Historically, many people in urban environments had a connection with a farm, whether it be mm. through a family member, through a school friend, whatever it was, there was always a connection. And I sort of feel that there isn't that same connection uh, that there once was. And I feel an integration through a school program or through community groups might actually be a good opportunity to re-engage. Yeah, yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. You're right. And some of that, just as you say, requires the um, the ability to be in a position to think through, yeah, 
how that could actually happen and with someone with the, the as you say, the passion to, to work that stuff through um, versus the trap we fall into, I suppose, when we're, we're um, yeah, defaulting just to the to our own little home base and our own little community and, and the safety because our brain's trying to keep us safe from the uncertainty, you know. Um, yeah, no, I definitely like what you say, yeah. What three tips have you got for someone out there right now who is facing personal struggles? Yeah, look, um. I suppose this actually goes um, in terms of a bit of a nod to to the way in which we've um, established the strength sheet. Um, the the ability to use our strengths in a really intentional way, um, and I'm talking about the strengths that bring us energy, right, not just the ones that we do well, um, but even to be able to wrap some language around those things that we do well, because we've all got our unique stuff, but use those in a really um, intentional way is kind of the smallest thing we can do to make the biggest difference. And there's a really lovely quote around that which I must look up who actually said the quote um, but it talks literally about that that a lever for our well-being individually is the use of our strengths but actually it's this massive gift to to the wider world right and we're playing to the stuff that we know to be true of us so yeah I would say one is definitely the intentional use of our strengths um, then there's this piece in here about um, the second one would be keeping keeping the brain fueled up to give us the ability to notice things you know, even the comment you just mentioned before and, and, and the, the patterns you were noticing. Um, and keeping our brain fueled up and giving it good dopamine fuel in four different ways, eat, move, sleep, and the, the fourth one being positive emotions. But there's some real tactical stuff we can do that keeps that front part of our brain turned on um, instead of defaulting to the to the middle part of the brain where we just kind of run on our emotions or run on old experiences and habits. So... Um, Mm. Yeah, the positive emotions, but bringing it to life, I think, is fascinating. You know, savouring things that are true to us. And three GTs, um, three good things, you know, rattling those off at the end of the day. Mm. Um, intentional random acts of kindness. There's so much power in that for both parties. Um, being quite intentional. It's intentional for the person doing it, but random for the other person. Mm. Um, so that would be my second one. Um, my third will be to do with this power that, that sits in the small things, really. Um you know, why do we do what we do and we know what we know? And I think um, sometimes it's actually, I know you had Sarah Donaldson um, on your podcast a few weeks back and Paul and I connected with Sarah um, a wee while ago and she used some similar language in the podcast to to what she spoke to Paul and I about, about mm. this concept of recovery. And recovery doesn't need to be on a macro level um, around waiting for the dry season and then getting ready for carving or you know, poor recovering after some high performance, you know, match that he's had. Um, that recovery can be the micro stuff and in the moment um, and a few times a day, the things that you go to in the moment to, but you go to them on repeat and that's where the power is. Um, that's where you shift the dial by doing the small things regularly. Um, we're often not doing those small things because we think they won't make a difference, but, mm -hmm. but over time they certainly do. So, yeah, the power's in the small stuff. Mm. How do people connect with the Strength Shed? Yeah, so we've um, got our website um, uh, established at www.thestrengthshed.co.nz, so strengths with an S. And for those who are near Taranaki, um, it would be great to grab a free place on the uh, workshops that we're running over the 11th and 12th of May in conjunction with the Taranaki Rural Support Trust. So we're running those at different, different, four different venues in Taranaki um, in mid-May. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Angus. It's been really good to chat. Thank you to Natalie for joining me. 
Natalie, as a development and wellbeing specialist, has vast experience across the government, engineering, postal and energy sectors. She partners with senior leaders to develop high-performing teams. Natalie's passion and talents lie in coaching and facilitating individuals and groups to thrive. She is joined in this venture by her brother Paul Williams, and hopefully Paul will join me on the show one day soon. They were both raised on a dairy farm in Patea, South Taranaki. They appreciate and understand the triumphs and struggles of working on the land. As Natalie and Paul say, mental fitness is for us all, and our mindset is everything. It is a busy time of year for our primary industry. Calf sales are here, harvest is in full swing across horticulture and viticulture sectors. So, if you know someone out there on the farm getting the job done, give them a call and ask them how things are going. They will appreciate it, and who knows, it could be the shot in the arm they need. Thank you for listening, and catch you next time on Factum Agri.